Please turn with me to Luke 12. Chapter 12. I'm not going to read everything that we've already looked at, although it's all relevant to what's going on here. I'm going to begin with Peter's question in verse 41. And we'll go before that question a little bit today, but in our remarks, but I, this is where we really begin new material, although it's all very, very much connected. Luke twelve forty one. Then Peter said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? He's speaking about verses 35 to 40. Lord, speakest thou this parable to us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give him his portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maid servants and eat and drink and be drunk, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him at an hour when he's not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that some say, Bible say, unfaithful, I think unbelievers is the best. And that servant who knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Heavenly Father, help me to speak and each of us to hear this section of Scripture and tying it into what went before and what goes after. We pray for help as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, This section all deals with the return of Jesus Christ, what we call the second coming. We're not getting into all the dispensational details of that. I'm just focusing on the fact he's coming back. And when we think about that coming, when we think about that coming, um, there's several things we need to look at. How about this one? Security. We've already looked at some last week. Security in the second coming. Security is not having bigger barns. We're going clear back to the parable of the rich man in the barns, right? We don't have to have bigger barns. Security is having treasure in heaven and not just on earth. Because the second coming is going to absolutely interrupt everything on earth. And security is knowing that the Father is going to give us the kingdom. It's our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And we want things sent before to that. Not everything here we have to leave. So it's good to be able to send something before. And we don't need large suitcases here Uh Anyone that's traveled knows that inexperienced travels, travelers always take too much stuff with them. 
Happens all the time. And they're dragging stuff around that they don't need to drag around. One suitcase would do for most trips, and they're taking two, and they're dragging it all around. Some trips might require two. But inexperienced travelers will take more stuff than they need. Inexperienced Christians think they have more stuff. (laughs) They need more stuff in this life than they need. So that's what the Lord's talking about um, uh, in the earlier part of this section with the parable about the rich man of the barns and seeking God's kingdom first and... uh, don't seek what you eat and drink, neither be of a doubtful mind. And the security that comes from knowing Jesus is coming and Jesus is our shepherd and Jesus is our Lord. And our treasure, if we have treasure in heaven, we're going to be looking for that and looking. And we don't need security the way the world needs security. Our security is in him. And that's a very important point. So security in the second coming goes back way back in the section and you know, all the previous stuff we've looked at. And we're going to catch up with that with the second thing. Surprise in the second coming. It's going to be a surprise. Even for God's people. Even for the leaders. It's going to surprise everybody. Saved are going to be surprised. Unsaved are going to be surprised. People in the church are going to be surprised. And that it, it, that's what it's really talking about here as Peter asked his question. And then, uh, so I've dealt with security. I'm going to start dealing with surprise today and stewardship in light of Christ's second coming. And finally, separation in light of Christ's second coming. Uh, There's going to be a big difference between saved people and unsaved people. There's a mixture now, but there won't be then. And we'll be looking at those things. Now, in verse 41... Peter asked a question. It was a question for clarification. It was a question for clarification on the Lord's teaching about the second coming. Now, this was an interruption, but this is a much better interruption than the unnamed man who interrupted in verse 13. Because unlike that man's interruption, this was not off topic. Peter wasn't trying to change the subject of Jesus's teaching. He was trying to understand what Jesus was teaching. This is a better question, right? Peter didn't always ask good questions. Some of them were bad. Some of them were not appropriate. Uh, some of his interruptions were not appreciated, like on the sermon, on the uh, on the transfiguration. That was a bad interruption on his part. But this one was good. This one was totally legitimate. And uh, the Lord is answering it. And in, in verse 41, Peter said to him, Lord, speakest thou this parable? That's verses 35 to 39 and 40. Unto us? Or even unto all? So Peter didn't ask good questions all the time, but this certainly was a good one. Last time we looked at the second coming, the certainty of our Lord's return, accountability at that return, Priorities in light of that return and prosperity in light of that return. And we look in verse 40, the parable turned to prophecy when Jesus said, Be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man comes at an hour when you think not. So Peter's all ears. He's listening. He's listening. And he's asking a legitimate question dealing with the subject of hand. And he want, this is a question of clarification. 
If you've ever been in a business meeting, uh, often people will politely ask a question for clarification of the motion or clarification of what the person on the floor is saying. And Peter's being polite here. He's simply saying, he's not trying to change the subject. He's saying, I am trying to understand what you mean. Could you be more specific? I need more details to understand your meaning. And he's talking about verses 35 to 40. And so there was, give Peter credit here, there was nothing lazy about Peter's listening. His mind was not wandering. His mind was engaged. He wants to understand better. And his question reflects that. And it's important. All of us have problems with our mind wandering in sermons. You know, it happens, doesn't it? We all do it. And, uh, but Peter was not, his mind wasn't wandering somewhere else like the earlier man. He said, tell me more. I want more specifics, please. I am not clear yet about what you meant. That's a good way to read the Bible, right? To move from just reading and to asking questions to God. One preacher talks about querying the text, questioning the text, asking questions, giving God, and then giving time for God to answer. That's the way we should listen in Sunday school, Bible class, morning worship, evening worship. That's the way we should read our Bibles. We should be listening to the Lord and want to be taught of the Lord. And sometimes we're lazy listeners. Okay, I got that, I got that, I got that. I don't understand that, but it doesn't matter too much. And so that's not the way we should listen. A good way of uh, looking at listening skills is uh, in the post-resurrection ministry of Jesus. When For 40 days after he rose from the dead, he was teaching them concerning the things of the kingdom. That's what it says in Acts 1. And then the apostle said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, that was a good question, right? They're right on target. They were listening closely to the teaching of the Lord. So, Peter has his question. And let me ask, let me show you what some folks say about this. One, one uh, Greek scholar said, he's certain that the twelve are meant, but he desires to know if others are included. Another said, what Peter asked is whether these sayings and warnings of Jesus were intended only for the disciples as ones alone who will sit at the heavenly table or whether others uh, from the great multitude uh, uh, might apply these words to themselves and thus come into heavenly blessedness. Another said Peter was to know, wanted to know which kind of conversation this was. Now, if you look back in these verses, sometimes Jesus is talking to the crowd and sometimes he's talking to the disciples. That's the background. We've already looked at that. And so here Peter is saying, which is it, Lord? Is it all of us or is it just some of us? And that's his question. What kind of conversation is this? Especially since Jesus had just been talking about some people suffering loss at his coming. Wait a minute, I don't want to suffer loss. What's this loss thing? Are you talking about all these unsaved people in the crowd? Or how about disciples? How about apostles? Or is, is it possible for some leaders to lose? Good 
question. Good question. I don't want to lose like the person that got their house broke into and lost because they weren't ready. So his question's a legitimate question. And R.K. Hughes said, Peter asked a question they were all thinking. I think that's imagination. I love R.K. Hughes. He's a great expositor. I doubt that everybody was thinking. I'll bet some of their minds were wandering. Or some of them were lazier listeners. Because that's just the way life is. They weren't maybe thinking it, but since Peter asked the question, they were now. Sometimes a Bible study is enhanced by a good question. My method is I've taught Bible classes all my life and homes and stuff, and I often start off with, are there any questions? Sometimes I never get to the lesson. And sometimes there's inappropriate questions or not good questions, but sometimes there's wonderful questions. And a Bible class is a good place where you can get your questions answered. Questions are good in Bible classes. Morning worship, not so good. This, we're not here for questions. We're here for to worship the Lord, hear His Word in an uninterrupted way. But Bible classes are for that. That's why I believe in them so much. So I'm not sure even the twelve were all engaged, but Peter was engaged. But once he asked the question, I think they all were engaged. Yeah. They all began to be engaged. So good listeners can help guide the whole class, right? A.B. Bruce was a Scottish uh, scholar a hundred years ago or so, and he has a great book on parables. He's got a lot of good writings. But he said, Peter's question doubtless had in view the whole discourse about watching. And his question probably arose out of a feeling of surprise at the severe tone prevailing it. You mean your coming might be like a thief and people might not be ready for that coming? And he kind of shook him a little bit. So, you know, we could take time and reread all of this stuff that we've already looked like. But in this earlier portion, uh, there's different pictures going on, if you remember. First, there's a picture of a master returning from a wedding. And I, in my own mind, I, I don't know exactly what he was talking about in 35 to 38. Is it the master's own wedding? Or is he just uh, part of a wedding party? And he comes back early. We don't know. Now you got to remember, this is a parable. So the master here, this is a story about human interaction. It's a parable. And of course at the end, we know Jesus is the master, but not during the parable itself. But... So it's, it's difficult to know, isn't it? And we know he is the bridegroom of the wedding. Now, bridegrooms sometimes do things on their wedding days that you wouldn't expect. When Linda and I were married almost 42 years ago, 41 years ago and a half, almost, uh, it was in Chillicothe, and my grandfather was in the hospital, and I loved my grandfather, and I knew he was potentially serious, didn't know how serious, so the morning of my wedding, I went over and saw him. That's not usually what you do, visit a hospital on your wedding day. And uh, Linda and her family had a wedding party that morning, and I just skipped that and went to see my grandfather. And I remember he got out of his hospital bed. 
And he said, I can't believe you came to see your grandpa on your wedding day in the hospital. You know, I'm really glad I did that. That was the last conversation I had with him on earth. I saw him after that, but wasn't able to talk to him. So, very important, we don't know exactly what is going on here. This master returning from the wedding, it could even be the wedding that he's talking about in heaven, or it just could be that part of the parable is a wedding and you know, he decides to come back early and serve everybody and like we looked at last time. So, the master returning from the wedding, there's some questions there. And that the thief surprising uh, people who are unready. And the Lord uses two figures from this life to describe his second coming. Somebody coming back early from a wedding and a thief surprising you when you're not expecting it. Both of those refer to the second coming. Both. The master from the wedding, 35 and 38, and the thief surprising folks that aren't ready, 39 to 40. And in that, we see a blessing to be enjoyed in verse 35 to 38. The master serving everybody when he gets home. Surprise, surprise, surprise. And a possible loss to be experienced. Thief breaking in and you stole a bunch of stuff. You've already looked at that, 39 and 40. And the picture is watch for Christ's return. Don't be a non-watcher <laughs> and suffer loss. And that's the point. And so that brings us, if we just might back up a little bit to this whole thief thing. We, we covered the other a little bit. The point here is to emphasize the uncertainty in the timing of our Lord's return. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be dramatic. It's going to be a total surprise to everyone. We got all kinds of people that say, Jesus is going to come on this date. I got it figured out. You don't have it figured out. Nobody knows. Even the angels don't know. If the angels don't know, you don't, don't waste your time on that subject. <laughs> Doing all these mathematical calculations about the return. You're just being a total fool to do that, to do what Jesus told you not to do. And it, it's not given to us to know that. Those are things the Father's put in His own power. So it's going to surprise every single professing Christian. It's going to surprise real Christians. It's going to surprise unreal Christians. It's going to surprise everybody. It's going to be the biggest surprise ever happened on this planet. You say, well, the devil knows. No, he doesn't know. Because if the angels don't know, he doesn't know. All he can do is guess. And I think he is guessing. I believe without a shadow of a doubt he's guessing. And if I had time to speculate on that, I would tell you why. Because he's trying to stop it. He's setting it up now to try to stop it. But he's just guessing because he doesn't know. I mentioned in a message... What was it last week? I can't remember about George Washington crossing the Delaware. Anybody remember that part of the message? Or am I imagining that? I don't know. But either way, I was going to mention it. George Washington crossed the Delaware River and attacked the German mercenaries. Uh, he went over on December 25th and, uh, and uh, uh, attacked them on December 26th. 
a small but pivotal battle in the revolution. He knew if he didn't do it, he was going to lose the war. So he did it. Usually when you attack, you need more a superior force to attack. You need two-thirds more troops than the other guys that are defending. They just attacked, and they won. And it was cold, and it was, it was freezing. And there's a movie about it. Jeff Chandler played George Washington. He actually did a good job. I don't like gen- some of the things Jeff Chandler says politically, but pretty good actor. And uh, there were four Hessian officers in a cabin that got surprised and killed by two of the Washington's men at the very beginning of the battle. And in the movie, it was just breakfast time, early dawn. Uh, There was a brief fight. Every one of them was surprised and killed. The camera focused on a boot on the floor of one of the officers. He was putting on his boot but he didn't get the second one on. It's a great picture of them being surprised and not ready. Not ready. Uh, And so the Lord is talking about this whole point of the surprise. It's just like a thief that comes unexpectedly. uh, The church is going to be surprised Everybody on this planet is going to be surprised. Uh, What a wonderful thing. Now, the early church actually picked up on this parable. Peter, Paul, John, they all mentioned it. So this really hit them, the possibility of Jesus coming like a thief. I mean, it's shocking. I mean, it's a shocking statement, you know. You don't normally think of connecting Jesus with a thief. Obviously, Jesus isn't stealing anything. But the point is, he's going to come when people don't expect him to come. And that's what he says in verse, if you will look with me, in verse 38, he shall come in the, if he, if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. And this know that if the owner of the house, 39, had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not permitted his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man comes at an hour when you think not. Just like the thief does. This was a, such a shock to Peter. You mean we are going to be surprised? Everybody's going to be surprised. Christ is coming as a thief. Interesting. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. I want you to see this. So from security in light of the second coming, we move from surprise at the second coming. Our security is not in not being surprised. <laughs> That's not our security. Oh, I gotta figure out when he's gonna come. I gotta get all the, watch all the movies on the rapture. I gotta watch all, all the stuff people do to figure out the second coming and try to put a finger on this and now Russia's gonna do this and all that other stuff. Our security's not in that. It's not trying to guess. Cause it's going to be a surprise. That's what Jesus himself said. 
I am not saying I don't have some some interest in those things. But I don't want to get dominated by those things and think, oh, if I can just get all these secrets figured out and then I know you've got better things to do. You've got better things to do. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. That's, that's what you need to be doing. But we're, even if you do that, you're going to be surprised. So 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need I write to you. Because they'd already, Paul had taught about this extensively when he was there. And they were first baby Christians. They got it when they were, they got it in their infanthood that Jesus is coming back. For you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord so comes as what? The thief in the night. Where did he get the thief in the night? I believe he got it from the saying of Jesus. And when they'll say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes on them as travail upon a woman with child, and they'll not escape. So once it happens, you're in it, right? Like all the women here that have had babies know. Once it starts, you're on the roller coaster. You're not going to, you got to go all the way to the end. But ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. There is some ways to be prepared, even though it's going to be a surprise. Your sons of the night, light, sons of the day, were not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober-minded. That's exactly the same thing. We watch not because we've guessed when it's going to be. We just watch because we know we're going to be surprised. For they that sleep in the night, they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunk are drunk in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, for the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we'll live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and, and edify one another, even as you do. Turn to Second Peter 3. Second Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. There we go again. In which the heavens shall pass away with the great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat and the earth also and its works are in it are burned up. Now the day of the Lord is not a 24-hour day. This is a period of, of the end time history of historical events. Seeing then that all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy living and godliness looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of the Lord, in which the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and new earth, in which dwells righteousness. Wherefore, brothers, beloved, seeing you look for such things, be diligent, you may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. So all of that's good stuff, isn't it? Now, look in Revelation 16. And John writing Revelation. We talk about the dogs of war being unleashed. How about the demons of war? You realize Satan loves war. 
He loves to take people in eternity unprepared. He loves to destroy. He loves the effects of war that go on after for years and years, decades later. Generations hurt. He loves that. And here is preparation for the battle of Armageddon. And uh, the demons are involved in all that. And I saw, 1613, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Guess what? Demons are behind it all. Demons are behind it all. The Antichrist, I believe, is a political person. The false prophet's a religious person. Demons are behind it all. And these demons in these individuals, they're spirits of demons working miracles that this is future, that go under the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. We're going back to what Jesus said. No efforts on the part of the underworld or the political world is going to stop this event, even when they're aligned. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't inform ourselves on these subjects uh, and have a general idea of what's happening biblically, uh, even down to some specifics if we hold it tentatively. But the great thing is watching, right? That's what Jesus said. Watching, being like servants that wait for the Lord, being ready whenever it happens, even though we don't know exactly when. And that's why Revelation 3.2, be watchful and strengthen the things that are made and that are ready to die. I've not found your work perfect before God to the church at Sardis. Remember, therefore, how you've received and heard and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, you'll not watch, I'll come as a thief and you will not know what hour I'll come unto you. So all that's important stuff. Turn with me to another one, Mark 13. Mark 13. Now, what is recorded in Mark 13 is something that happened later from Luke 12. This is Passion Week, so Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's just a couple of days from the cross when we have this. This is later than Luke 12. But again, he's talking about watching Mark 13.32. But but that day and hour, Mark 13.32, knows no man... No, not the angels are in heaven, neither the Son. That's the incarnate Son in His times of limitation, self-imposed limitation as a God-man. But the Father, now Jesus knows it now, He just didn't know it then. Take heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. If Jesus did not even know it when he was on the earth, nobody else is going to know it while they're on the earth. Don't have hope. What arrogance to think you would figure something out that Jesus didn't know. Because he's all-knowing. He just put self-limitations on his omniscience for his time here. 
he gave up the independent use of his attributes and uh, followed God the Father's uh, understanding and will as it was revealed. Not the attributes. He didn't give them up. He gave up the independent use of them temporarily. For the Son of Man is like a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants to every man his work and commanded the porter watch. Watch, therefore, for you know not when the master of the house is coming at evening or at midnight or cock crow or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he'll find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So everybody's got to watch. Everybody is going to be surprised. But some are going to be surprised and be ready, and some are going to be surprised and not ready. Have you ever had somebody over for dinner and you say, come at six and they come at five? And you're surprised. Yeah, it happens all the time. Stuff like that happens. And uh, But now, if you pick up the house and you got the meal all set, you're ready even if they come early, right? You're ready. But what if you put her all off and the house isn't picked up because you got a husband that messes up houses and he didn't get his job done like me? Then you're not ready. And it's embarrassing. Then you got to run around. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> Doorbell rings and all that. So the Lord, the point here is watching because everybody's going to be surprised. Some will be surprised and ready. Some will be surprised and not ready. Those that are ready because they're born again, they're saved, and they're doing what the Lord wants them to do will have a reward. Those that are not ready are going to suffer some kind of loss. Maybe loss of reward or something else depending on what kind of not ready they are. Now, go back to Luke uh, 12. So Peter asked his question, and now we have the Lord's response. We've looked at security in light of the second coming. We've looked at surprise in light of the second coming. And now we're down a little more as we move into this next section, as Jesus begins this parable. Lord, do you speak this parable to us or even to all? And he responds by another parable. It's not a direct answer, but it is an answer. And the Lord said, Who is that faithful and wise steward whom the Lord shall make ruler over his household to give him his portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Of a truth, I say to you that he'll make him ruler over all he has. But... And that's a big but, and we'll start looking at that. So even the big shots can be not ready. Even the big shots can be, even the stewards, the overseers. Uh, King James says, a faithful and wise steward. It's a very interesting phrase and very helpful phrase. And so it's not just rank and pile people that won't be ready. Some of the leadership that are put over others will not be ready. Philip Reichen said Peter wanted to know what kind of conversation this was, especially since Jesus had just been talking about some people suffering loss at his coming. And John Brown, an old writer about a hundred years ago or so, he said these words have a direct reference to Christian ministers. That these words have a direct reference to Christian ministers seems obvious from an attentive examination of the context. 
And it has reference to professing Christians in positions of spiritual leadership, some who are saved and some who are not. Spiritual leadership primarily here is dealing with apostles and pastors and elders. I mean, that's originally what this is talking about. But I personally believe it can be applied to Sunday school teachers, Bible class teachers, um, disciplers, parents, anyone who is in some form of leadership over someone else. You have been given some kind of leadership role over other people. Now, primarily, it's talking about church leaders uh, in like, like pastors or elders and so forth. But it refers to anyone that's in a leadership position, in my mind. And so it's a challenge to us. Any leadership is like a secondary application. The primary here is some church office. So Jesus tells a story. And this is a story. Who then is that faithful and wise steward? The Greek phrase is oikonomos. It means a manager. And, or a steward. Paul said we're stewards of the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. And Titus talks about the elders being a steward. In their eldership. And the, the later parable in Luke 16 is going to talk about a man who had to give up his stewardship because he was stealing. And the, the unrighteous steward. So what we're talking about is a manager. Some, what's a manager do versus an owner? A manager manages so the owner will get profit. Isn't that what a manager is? Isn't that what a steward is? It's not your money, it's not your stuff, but you are managing it for another person. That's the picture. And so, watch what happens here. And this happened in the ancient world. Jesus was actually taking from the ancient world and the slavery of the ancient world a a spiritual lesson. That doesn't mean he approved of everything about slavery. That has nothing to do with it. He was simply taking something everybody knew, because there were more slaves and free people in the Roman Empire, and everybody knew about this. Slaves were considered part of the household of the person who owned them. They were on the bottom rung. But these stewards were sometimes a non-slave, but often a slave. So it's a slave that proved himself faithful, and so he got promoted to steward. And he was over others. So the, man, the, the owner is going to be away, and so he appoints this other person to be in charge while he's away. My dad did that to me when I was 19. Uh, he was going fishing. Uh, he was going fishing in Lake Erie uh, and uh, for a week, and he pointed me over the restaurant. 19 or 20, I don't remember how old I was. Pretty young. I was only in charge of it for a week. And guess what happened the day after my dad left? Some of you know this. The water line broke. He had 200 people out there wanting to eat and there was no water. Something like that. I remember people standing in line getting in. I think it was Mother's Day or something. Don't remember what it was. And, you know, whoever, however many of the restaurants sat, I've forgotten. 
and nobody could get in. I mean, some were in, but there's no water. You know, it's on my shift. <laughs> you know, I had to deal with that problem. We had to shut down. It made me feel bad, but there wasn't anything else we could do until they got it fixed. So my dad put me in charge. But I was just a peon. I was just a worker. I had no official position other than that temporary being in charge for a week. And uh, so that's what's going on here. This someone, it's a steward over the household. It's one servant that's put over the other servants and is in charge until the master gets back. And that's... Isn't that what we are? Isn't that what Christian leadership is? Slave leadership, servant leadership. We're not a, we're just servants of other servants. So let's read what it says here, verse 42. The Lord said, Who is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give him, give his portion of food in due season? In other words, you are responsible to make sure every other slave has appropriate food and equipment to do what they got to do. And keep them doing it. Now, if you're faithful, it says, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Of a truth, I say, he'll make him ruler over all he has. All right, he's faithful a little. I'm going to give you some more, something more to do. And he, you even get a promotion over that. That's the picture. And it's a good picture. And it's an important picture. Now, there's faithful and wise stewards that do with that. All right, I got this responsibility. I need to fulfill this. And then there's people that say, ha, 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 he's not coming back for a long time. I've got time to indulge myself. And so instead of giving the other servants their food, you take their food and eat it, and you take their drink and drink it, and you get drunk and you're... You're misusing your position. And you think you can do it because you're not going to be back for a long time. He's delaying his coming. That's the picture. Now the wise servant, the faithful servant, is not going to do that. But not all servants are faithful and wise. So a steward is a servant over other servants. He's the manager, not owner. And he, if he does well, he gets a promotion to higher responsibility. But there's the other option too. If he doesn't do well. Uh, around that same age, I was working later in the fall, Sears and Roebuck in Chillicothe. I went to the branch at OU there for my first year. And uh, I'm a pretty young guy there. And I ended up working there about nine months. I don't remember the details of this, but the manager of the department in the store, the store had several departments, quit. And that left just two of us in that department. And the other lady was an older lady. She was actually a mom of someone who was in my high school class with me. She got caught with sticky fingers. She stole stealing money out of the cash register, and they caught her. So she got fired. That left me. And so my time was almost up, and they offered me a position to be over the whole department in that part of the store when I'm like 19 because I had seniority. Everybody else is gone in that department. Well, I didn't want it. I was planning to come to OU, so I turned it down because I already had plans to come my sophomore year at OU. But the lady that got the position abused the position and stole 
And she got canned, and I got a temporary promotion because there was nobody else. Now, if you go back to Genesis 39, Joseph was put over everything Potiphar had. Remember that? And he was so faithful. He was so faithful in the little bit that he was given to do that he got advanced to more. First, he's over Potiphar's house. Then he's over everything at Potiphar. Potiphar didn't know anything. He didn't. He just trusted him completely with all his finances. All he thought about was what he's going to eat. He was that faithful. So Joseph got a promotion. You see that in the lives of David. You see it in the life of Daniel. You see it in the life of Mordecai. People were faithful in one position and then they're advanced to another position. Now what Jesus is talking about, faithful church leadership is in for a big promotion. (laughs) Now the apostles got a little promotion at Pentecost when they moved from being apprentice apostles like they were in the three gospel, in the four gospels to full-fledged apostles. That, that was a promotion, a little bit of a promotion. But there's a bigger promotion coming at the second coming for the apostles. Turn to Luke 22. Luke 22. 28. Ye are they who've continued with me in my trials, and I appoint to you a kingdom, as my Father is appointed to me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I'd say that's a pretty big promotion. In church leaders, elders, pastors, parents, disciples, fathers, mothers, faithful who undertake in their positions of responsibility and don't lord it over the flock like Peter warns the elders in 1 Peter 5, will be promoted. Now, we know when you've got a ministry, you're tied down. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you're tied down. You've got to be there. If you're raising children, you're tied down. If you're in some kind of spiritual leadership, you're tied down somewhat. And some people say, I don't want it. I I want my freedom. Leadership has its responsibilities, but it also has its what? Its rewards. God understands that. But there's a flip side to that. Abusive, tyrannical misuse of a stewardship is heavily dealt with by the Lord. Judas, Diotrephes, Demas, false teachers. They got a big problem when Jesus comes. You know what all that starts? It starts with disbelief of the Lord's coming. He's not coming. I got time to do what I want to do and abuse my position of responsibility. What people say in their heart, verse 45, that's very similar to what the rich man said to himself in 1217. When we were in Florida this last January, we we took two or three days before the conference to visit some my my aunt and so forth in in Florida before we went down to the conference. And in those two days, we heard of um, a pastor who was in a a current church that had been convicted twice and caught twice of theft in a previous church. 
That's a lot. And then in that same time period, there was another church that Linda knew about when she was in Florida. The church treasurer or secretary stole six figures money from that church. Two different churches with people in responsibility abusing their responsibility. All I got to say is I would not want to be those people on the judgment day. I mentioned to my aunt that Judas was the treasurer of the apostles. She didn't know that. She's a Christian, but she didn't know. She says, where's that? And I said, John twelve six. He had the bag. And he was unfaithful in that before he denied the Lord. He was given a big responsibility as an apostle and treasurer of the apostolic band. He abused it. A.B. Bruce, again writing on this parable, said, A profligate clergy, lording it over God's heritage, dissolute in life, skeptical in reference to the future glory of the kingdom, and all the great Christian verities, and guilty of the grossest hypocrisy in combining the exercise of sacred functions with a total lack of personal faith and holiness, it takes a long time to develop such a deplorable state of matters. It's a very interesting thing. This parable is talking about something that will develop and get worse over time. But boy, church history has proved that to be true, hasn't it? You cannot read church history without realizing a lot of clergy were very crooked. And Jesus said, I'm going to point them with the unbelievers. Some say unfaithful. It can mean unfaithful. But the parallel passage in Matthew 24, 51 says, appoint them with hypocrites. So I like unbeliever. So, may God help us to see the warning here. Corrupt pastors, corrupt church leaders. Nobody's sinless. Every pastor fails. I have plenty of failings and sins. But this is talking about people that are totally unconcerned about the second coming. They're occupied here, enriching themselves, engaging in sin, misusing their positions, and so forth. It's a long history that Jesus has predicted here. Go back to Luke 12. I've got to finish up here this morning. So security in light of the second coming. Surprise in the light of the second coming of Christ. Those are real issues here. And uh, let's go back down and look in verse um, chapter 12. And of course, there's a possibility the faithful servant who's really saved and has been watching and has been working, there's going to be a reward. He's going to be made ruler over all he has. That's the good news. Not because he earned it, but because he's, God saved him and he's got a reward coming. But, verse 45, if that, faithful, if that servant say in his heart, that same servant, that same position, a person that same servant in that same position say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. Again, instead of using the provisions for the people under him, he overindulges himself. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him and an hour when he's not aware and will cut him in sunder and appoint him his portion with unbelievers. I like to say being cut in half is pretty serious stuff. 
Now, this is a parable, and there were masters in the ancient world that actually did this stuff. They'd ex- execute their slaves if they abused. They'd just execute them. They wouldn't get in trouble for it. The ancient world considered, I'm not saying the Jewish world, but I'm saying the ancient world considered your slave your property, and uh, you could execute him if you wanted to. And this master decides on a brutal execution. Now, this isn't Jesus cutting people in half. This is a parable about a master catching somebody and cutting him in half. So I don't really think Jesus is going to literally cut anybody in half. This is a parable about what would happen on earth in a regular situation like this. But whatever happens to unbelievers at the second coming is going to be worse than being cut in half. Not better. Because it's that awful punishment that's pictured here that's it's in reference to this parable to the second coming of Christ, to the unready servant. And that servant, verse 47, who knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, will be beaten with many stripes. You knew, but you didn't do. But he who knew not and commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whom much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, him shall they expect more. There is accountability at the second coming. There is, there's different possibilities. Are there three different kind of people? Somebody got cut in two, somebody got many stripes, somebody got few stripes. Or is there two kind of people? Did you get cut in two and get the many stripes? <laughs> I don't know anything about that. All I know, none of these are good outcomes. These are picturing horrible outcomes to people who dare misuse their responsibility. So there's security in light of the second coming that we have. Thank God for that if we're truly saved. There's a surprise at the second coming for everybody. And there's a stewardship. That's our third point. In light of the second coming, faithful will be rewarded, put over all he has. Boy, that'd be fun to elaborate that because we're co-heirs with Christ. Unbelieving professors, professing leaders will be exposed in various levels of accountability and the punishments that go about them and the various levels of uh, knowledge. People always worry about, oh, what about the people who never heard? I'm more worried about the people who have heard. According to this parable, the people that know are in bigger trouble than people never heard. Start worrying about the people that know that aren't saved. How many people have you witnessed to? I can't get saved because I'm, I'm concerned about the lost that never heard. Well, you've heard. You're in more danger than they are right now. And so there's this stewardship in light of the second coming of what you know. And then there's this separation at the second coming. The, the last point. There is going to be a division. It's not going to be everybody live happily ever after. Not according to Scripture. Unsaved leaders are going to suffer under judgment from the coming Messiah. Saved leaders will be rewarded at the coming of the Messiah. The more you know, the higher you are, the more accountable. I'm going to close on this illustration. And forgive me, I've probably used this three or four times in this church over the years. Maybe recently. And that's when I was a patrol boy at Unioda School in sixth grade. 
To me, it's a very easy illustration to make. We had a schoolboy patrol between the uh, old building and the new building. There was a road between them, a highway. Not a highway, but busy road. And there's a bridge, and a, a, a creek was running through the bridge. And we had several patrol boys, and that was a very macho thing in sixth grade to be a patrol boy. you got to wear a badge. you got a white belt and a badge. And, and uh, the, the regular patrol boys just had a silver badge, which was really cool. We, we learned how to fold our, fold our thing and put the badges on the front and so forth. The, they had two lieutenants, and they had a silver badge with red on it. That was really up there. And they had one boy... Chaz Pupcamp, he was made the captain. His mom was a teacher. Now, my mom was a secretary, the principal, but that didn't count so much. I didn't have any influence, so I'm just a regular patrol boy. Well, one winter day, somebody started a walnut fight among the patrol boys. One kid fell through the ice, and he got a black eye with a walnut, and then the, the, the pole that the flag was on, the bamboo pole, got broken, and we were obviously truant. So, we were met by the principal of the school, the head bus driver, and the coach, and they all had paddles in their hands. And we all assumed the position. I don't remember the details. I just remember each of us got several whacks. But the regular patrol boys got less rat wax than the lieutenants. And the lieutenants got less wax than poor Chaz Putcamp, who was the captain. Each of the people who had greater responsibility bring greater problem because of the misuse of our position. We'd already, we'd already been caught going up the creek and uh, trying to reconnoiter the prison that was behind the school. So, somehow the guard saw us. I don't know how that happened. So they were already angry at us. Now, it's very clear here, it's very clear here that uh, the responsibility that leadership has And Peter gets his answer. Not all church leaders are going to be saved. And not all church leaders are going to be rewarded. Some church leaders are going to lose. Big time. Because they're unsaved. They're not born again. And they misuse their position. And that doesn't mean church leaders have to be sinless. Because there's no such church leader. But you don't want to abuse your position. Peter put this later about false teachers in the church in 1 Peter 2, 19. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption for whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought into bondage. For if after they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and they're again entangled in it and overcome, the latter end is worse than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they've known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. It's happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her walling in the mire. How many false teachers began in churches that preached the gospel? You study church history. You study the cults. 
A lot of them began with the truth, and they left the truth. Why? Because they were unsaved. It was unpalatable to them, and they, but then they brought a whole bunch of people after them. The second coming is going to deal with all that. There's going to be surprise, and there's going to be a separation, and there's going to be a recognition of who was really saved and who was faithful and who was unsaved and misusing it. The only way to be ready is to be born again, to be saved, and to be serious about the promised surprise at the second coming. Many deny that second coming. Why wouldn't they? They don't want Christ to come because they don't want to be accountable. They can't live with that accountability in front of them. The only way to live with that accountability is to have your sins under the blood and know it. That's First Peter 1 and 3 and First Peter 1 3 to 19, there's a blessed hope. And if we're submitting to the Word of God and we're looking for the Lord to come, remember, Peter denied the Lord three times, but he was under the blood. Paul persecuted Christians, but he was under the blood. They were all looking for the second coming. They were all rejoicing in the second coming because they were ready because of what Jesus did on the cross. The ones who aren't ready aren't ready because they're not saved. And it's false profession is a very dangerous thing. So may God speak to us about this. And if there's someone here, you say, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Well, let the Lord deal with you, right? Make sure you're not just a professor, but a possessor of eternal life. And that you're really trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord. And you're really looking for him because you know it's under the blood. And you've been redeemed, not with silver and gold from your vain manner of life, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. Thank you, Father, for this section of Holy Scripture. Challenge us by it. Change us in it. If anyone that's hearing my voice has been content to be a a church member or a professor but not saved, or even a church leader that's never been saved, We know even the best of us sin, even after we're born again, but we don't want to abuse our position over others and uh, use a position for uh, indulging in sin. Forgive us, Lord, uh, when the best of us fail, but we're thankful for the blood of Christ. We're thankful for the coming of Christ. And we say, because our sins are under the blood, not because we're perfect or sinless, but because we know we've been saved. Even so, come Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.